Hello, everyone out there in the podcast listening universe. Uh, welcome to another week's episode of the Preferred Walk-On Show, a college football show about college football. My name is Dimitri Zamaris. You might know me as Meech. Today, me and Jeremy Taché, as always, are going to go through the uh, six biggest games of the week uh, from last week and week 10. Uh, hit a little bit of our quick hitters, uh, three each there. Uh, then we have a look at the polls, which is extremely interesting this week with the college football po- uh, playoff rankings coming out for the first time of the year. And then, we, of course, we have our Saturday six-pack and our little quick segments at the end. So uh, if you want to skip through and get to specific things, uh, the order in which we are going in the reviews will be Georgia versus Florida, Utah versus Washington, SMU versus Memphis, Cincinnati versus ECU, Virginia versus UNC, Miami versus Florida State. Uh, Then, of course, we have the middle segment of the show. And then uh, for our Saturday six-pack, the order that we will be going there is Wake versus Virginia Tech, Iowa State versus Oklahoma, Iowa versus Wisconsin, uh, Jeremy's favorite game of the week, obviously, Uh, (laughs) Kansas State versus Texas, LSU versus Alabama, and we will wrap things up with Penn State versus Minnesota. So look forward to that. And all of the timestamps for those individual games will be in the description if you want to just skip ahead and sample the podcast as you so please. I with like that being that said, my, I'm sorry. I yeah, have with to that say, being said, I want to introduce my good pal, Jeremy Tache. Jeremy, I, how's I, it going, buddy? I have to say, I love that the first sound that I made was to show disgust over Iowa, Wisconsin. I feel like it's extremely on brand. Uh, for every <laughs> just everything, pure disgust. just pure disgust over over uh, those two teams and what they mean in the landscape of college football. So let's get right to it, huh? Yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it, Jeremy. Let's talk about the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, which apparently there's a there's been a sea change. Or they don't want to call the game that anymore. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous Did you see thing. That? Yeah, it's ridiculous. That that yeah, it, is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, and no and, one and can it's tell ridiculous me too. If you have ever been, it's just descriptive. It's not yeah. even like a branding thing. It's just legitimately descriptive of what's happening. It's it's, it's exactly one hundred percent what it is. It's yeah. it's a madhouse. All right. Uh, so you have Georgia come in, win twenty four to seventeen against Florida. Um, the story of the game here to me was Georgia on third down. Yep. Um, just dominating the, the, the Florida defense. It didn't matter the down. Didn't matter the distance. And this has been the same story now, two years in a row for Georgia when when playing Florida is, yeah, you know, Todd Grantham is just one of the most predictable defensive play callers in the country, and it really shot Florida in the foot this week. When you play a team uh, like Georgia that is really steady offensively, it's not to say that Georgia is, is one of the best offensive teams in the country um, by any means. Uh, yeah, but, but, but you know what you're going to get, right? Right. They're consistent. And uh, Jake Fromm is a whether you know you want to criticize him or not for his uh, Alex Smithness at times, um, his game manager uh, style. At the same time, he's going to make all of the throws that are necessary as long as they're not you know needing to go be like a tremendous playmaker. But he makes all of all of the simple plays. Um, and if you're not going to be creative on defense, you're not going to stop Georgia enough times to win because their defense is obviously good enough to slow you down. Uh, That ultimately was the final factor. The Gators did nothing defensively that was 
uh, superb. They did nothing out of the ordinary defensively. And thus, Jake Fromm was able to move the ball pretty consistently throughout the game. Yes, they scored 24. It's not like they, you know, ran it up against the Gators. But all things considered, the way that Fromm had looked against South Carolina, the way that Fromm had looked throughout the last few games where people were jumping in and criticizing Fromm, saying, oh, he's not a first-round pick, he's not this, he's not that. For him to come out and have a really solid game, I mean, it was sort of predictable, right? Like, this was when we were talking about these games last week, and we both picked Florida. I think we also both left this out there and saying it would make sense if Jake Fromm came back and played well and Georgia played well and scored enough to win. And, you know, Kyle Trask looked like a guy who was not a Gator starter to start the season, right? I mean, he was he was fine, uh, but he was not necessarily going to go make the play that was necessary for this team to win. And thus... You know, the, the reality is the better team won. Like, we all got really, really down on Georgia because of one loss, and we all got really, really high on the Gators after their win against Auburn because it was surprising to us. But a home win against a freshman quarterback, and then they went out and lost by a couple of touchdowns to LSU, that's exactly what that team is. One touchdown to Georgia, two touchdowns to LSU, and a touchdown better than Auburn. And that just makes sense. Like, the Gators have been exactly uh, what they should be throughout the season. Right, and I think one thing that, that does kind of stick out when you're looking at what happened in this game, uh, Florida, 19 carries as a team for 21 yards. How does that happen? Uh, I mean, I, the Georgia front seven were, hmm. was playing just incredible football. Um, even uh, J.R. Reed, I believe his name is, the safety, came down and had a, a couple huge tackles, and – that the linebacker Monty Rice, man, he was Ooh. everywhere, just all over the field. Um, and Lamichael P. Ryan finished seven carries for thirty-one yards, and then they just kind of gave up on running the football in the second half. And when Kyle Trask is as limited, ta- like talent-wise, as he is, right, and you're playing as good of a defense as Georgia has, where Freddie Swain, Van Jefferson, like guys that we've seen break off these, you know, 80-yard touchdowns week in and week out throughout the season. When you play a defense that's going to limit those sorts of things, then it becomes a, it becomes an issue of where are these points coming from, right? Exactly. And, and I think those were the biggest takeaways from the game. Um, Georgia, on the other hand, stuck with the run game. Uh, DeAndre Swift, 25 carries for 86 yards, which isn't like – premium efficiency but it kept the defense honest exactly um, and I think that's that's one of the biggest things here uh, I also Cager want to point had himself out, a huge game yeah too. that's what I wanted to point out Lawrence Cager man what a cool what a cool transfer story for him I mean he struggled yeah. it's a weird thing he kind of struggled to stay on the field at Miami last year uh an yep. offense that was relatively inept and he struggled to stay on the field he had a lot of issues with drops he's always been a big talented receiver and he transfers out to Georgia, and he's been nothing but spectacular for them. And and you he had wonder half of his he had half of his receiving yards on the year basically against Florida last week. Right. I mean that's a huge game, right? And and yeah. he's come up with a few big touchdowns throughout the year for them. But the fact that he came out and played that way against Florida uh, makes a Miami fan probably smile a little bit. To be honest, that that a former UM player is out there uh, ending the a little Gators, bit of the yeah. Gators run, right? Uh, but it, it was it was a great game from Georgia, and now you know whether we whether we believe it or not, they are in control of their own destiny, right, for the college football playoff. So 
Um, 100%. You know, all of a sudden, they, they were, I think to everyone, they were sort of dead in the water. Everyone anticipated the Gators might come in and win that game. And now, you know, once again, Georgia's back in the driver's seat. Uh, and one last thing before we move on. Uh, Emory Jones, just get in the transfer portal. Yeah, what uh, is, like, why doesn't that kid play? I, I can't. Th- th- this reminds me so much. Like, I don't think he's as talented as uh, Justin Fields was last year with Georgia. Yeah. But they literally only bring him in to run the ball. I don't get uh, it. I don't and get it. if I'm him, I'm transferring and finding a team that wants to play me at quarterback. Um, yeah. You know, like, like I was recruited to be. All right, let's move on now to um, – this was actually a very interesting game. Uh, Utah hmm. wins it on the road, thirty-three to twenty-eight over Washington. Uh, Jacob Eason started off very, Hot. very strong. Yeah, and we were like, "Oh, you know, maybe this is the game where you know Jacob Eason shows that he is that first-round talent quarterback, and he is ready for the NFL, and he can play against Power Five defenses." And then in the second half, it became very obvious and apparent. That he is still a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, finishes the game twenty nine of fifty two for three hundred and sixteen yards, four touchdowns, and uh, two interceptions, which is uh, not great. I believe he threw two pick sixes. I could I could be wrong. Uh, no, one pick six. Mm. Um, which ended which ends up being the difference in the game, right? So right. Utah does what Utah does. They were just ridiculously efficient on offense um running the ball Zach, uh, Tyler Huntley wasn't asked to do a whole whole lot with his arm uh you know I mean 19 to 24 284 yards and a touchdown that's that's mean that's as Utah as Utah is gonna get and they just continue to roll and I, I think inarguably are, are kind of in that conversation with Oregon where you know if these two teams went out and play each other in in, in the Pac-12 championship you have an interesting case that, you know, one of the two of them deserves maybe a look at the college football playoff. That's the weird part, right? Because I don't think anybody's taking Utah legitimately seriously for the college football playoff, right? Like, even though they're a top 10 team in the college football playoff, that loss at USC was so strange on that Friday night. And that was, what's his name? Um, Matt Fink. Matt Fink, right? Who who yeah. then had his little, little uh, interview with Urban Meyer after the game, which is fun. Uh, but I think USC Trojans coach, exactly, exactly. But that loss was so strange, but it's a one touchdown loss at USC and Utah has been nothing but great since then. And I think it's just kind of strange that it does feel like they're not necessarily being taken as seriously as they should be. Um, in terms of, in terms of the college football playoff. And I mean, do I think that they're one of the four best teams in the country? Absolutely not. I think they're very much in that next tier. But the fact that they they were able to win in comeback fashion against Washington at Washington like that, that's that's a statement win uh, to show that their start at 7-1 wasn't a fluke and to get to 8-1 was a legitimate challenge and they were able to overcome it. Yeah, and, you know, they do what they did best. They stop the run and they, they you know, 53 yards rushing on 22 carries for... <laughs> For Washington, yeah. Utah controlled the ball for 35 minutes of the game as opposed to 25 for Washington. Uh, they were 9 of 16 on third downs. They, you know, it, it was, like I said to, to, you know, kick it off, it was just a very, very Utah game. Yes, it and was. And when you start playing a Utah game against Utah, you're going to lose. Um, yeah. And for what it's worth, Kyle Whittingham has built 
like year in and year out, Utah's a top twelve level program every year now. It's and, bizarre uh, that that's the case, but but you're not right. Wrong. It hasn't been that way since Urban Meyer, right? <laughs> and so it's uh it's it's an interesting team, and and they're worth keeping an eye out on uh, for now. And if they keep winning, you know, the Pac-12 championship could get really interesting. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, championship teams, how about Memphis and SMU, huh? Uh, this uh, is the best game of the weekend, NFL an, or college football. What an unbelievable game this was. And, I, you know, I, throughout the game, um, my rooting interests started to, to fluctuate um, because of other games that were happening, um, which we're going to get to next. But Memphis, first of all, let's pour one out uh, for SMU. A little moment of silence for just a second for their undefeated season. Just a moment. All right, that's enough. And uh, Shane Bouchelle, let me start there. Shane Bouchelle was freaking great in this game. Yeah, he played as well as you could. I mean, this he is a, one a, of those valiant effort-type right. losses, He played right? about as well as you could possibly play, and the defense just had nothing for Memphis. I mean, literally, <laughs> literally, like legitimately literally nothing. nothing. It was unbelievable how little they had in terms of resistance for Memphis. And the funny part about it was that the way that SMU was playing on offense, early on, you felt like, all right, they're just rolling. Sure, they're going to give up points. And and this felt like the game, like as you're watching it, I'm sitting here going, all right, this is the game that Memphis always finds a way to lose. You know, they're, right. they, they went up a couple of scores. And I'm like, no, they're going to find a way to blow it. That's what Memphis does. And not that they nearly did, because, because you know, 54-48, it was SMU scoring at the end and going for an onside kick. So this game did not get that close. But there were a couple of moments there where Memphis had gone up, you know, 17 or so in the fourth and almost blew it uh, and was giving up touchdowns immediately. But this was, like, such a lack of defense, but such great offense. Like, I think... The people that would watch this game, and, and this is just more a statement about college football, I think, but but the people that would watch this game and go, oh, man, there was no defense. That's not good football. Get out of here. Like, right. there was – first of all, you're right. There wasn't a ton of defense, but this was also about offensive playmakers making plays. Just making plays. plays. Like, yeah. there's only – yes, neither defense was very good. But it's also because there were just playmakers all over the field for both On teams. both teams, Going yeah. absolutely nuts. I mean, James Brochet was crazy. But how about we, we talk about not, not Gainwell, but Gibson. For, yeah. for Antonio Gibson for Memphis, who scored on the ground. He scored in the air. He scored on a kick return. It was unbelievable. He become. I think he was the first player they said since since Der, is it Derek Williams in '98 at Penn State, like something something or 2008 maybe. I, unbelievable game he, from Gibson. What was even crazier is his. <laughs> he had a 78 yard rushing touchdown, a 50 mm-hmm. yard receiving touchdown, and a 93 yard kickoff return touchdown. I, so those are three touchdowns in three different styles, all over 50 yards. Mm-hmm. He ends up finishing with close to. Like close to 350 total yards of uh, of just yardage himself, just him by himself. Yeah, and Gainwell, you, you said Gainwell like was limited, but he finished with 88 yards rushing and 14 yards uh, receiving. Right, he had so over 100 close, yards still. 
Yeah, he's close up to over 100 again. Yeah. Brady White was 19 of 33, which isn't great. Let me but give, he still had those explosive plays. Let me give Brady White went, some credit. Let me give Brady White some credit because I don't do the it. The kid makes plays, dude. I, I, I don't, he makes plays. Brady White was magnificent. Uh, for for what his role needed to be, uh, Brady White Brady White executed that damn near perfectly. Um, from from I, the then, beginning of the game to the end, he was under control. He didn't turn the ball over. He... He made a couple of really, really pretty throws in the red zone, and that was the key. You know, a lot of these teams, especially, you know, when you look at, like, teams in the Big 12 and teams in the American Athletic Conference that are really similar styles, right? It's a lot of offense and not a lot of defense. The difference ultimately ends up being which quarterbacks can make plays in the red zone because a lot of these teams can score on big plays, but how do they actually execute when it gets close? And Brady White, I don't know exactly what his red zone stats were, but it felt like he completed every <laughs> single throw. Uh, when it, when, when, when what, Brady White isn't turning the ball over, Memphis is is one of the scariest teams. Memphis is almost impossible to beat when Brady White's not turning the ball over. They lost to Temple because Brady White turned the ball over. Like I've been, talked- as, <laughs> I've been as hard as anybody in the country probably on Brady White for just because I, you know, why not? Let's dig our heels in. But I, this kid played out of his mind um, and, we, and played we about as about perfect all the, as Brady White could. We talked about all the playmakers in this game. We've yet to bring up DeMonte Coxie. Oh, he was uh, so who, good. Seven catches for 143 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns uh, on his own right. Right. Rasheed Rice had seven catches for 122 yards for SM. It, it was just an incredible game. It was so by fun everybody to watch. involved as long as they weren't playing defense, right? Right. So. Well, and and so let's just say this about SMU. Um, there's a couple takeaways I, I get from this. First of all, it, when we do look back at SMU uh, this season, first of all, an obvious step in the right direction in terms of, uh, you know, just the program in general. And I mean, there's a very good chance that they could still finish this season eleven and one. They do have to travel to Navy, which won't be easy. Uh, and they host Tulane at the end of the year. But uh, not only a step in the right direction, but uh, first of all, they won a couple of close games early. I mean, let's not let's not joke around with ourselves. They beat Tulsa by six. They beat TCU by three. They beat Houston by three. I mean, they hung around in some of these games that this loss felt inevitable. But what this also reminds me of is just how difficult it is to go undefeated, you know? Right. And, and we say this all the time, and we say this, you know, I say this in reference to this conference specifically quite often as a result of the last two years. Um, but for SMU to even be in the position that they were in and to be that close when Memphis pretty much played a perfect game, that's the thing. Offensively, Memphis could not have been better than they were. And so Shane Bouchelle throws for... You know, 34-54 for four, 456 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, SMU is a damn good football team. And that one loss is going to sort of diminish what their their ceiling could have been. Uh, but the fact that they played this game as well as they did was really impressive to me. Right. And so now we can move on to another AAC, another high-scoring AAC uh, game, actually. So this one uh, was a heartbreaker. Yeah, this one we put on for one specific reason, so we can keep it short. Cincinnati on the road, 46-43. They beat the East, East Carolina Pirates. Uh, the group shot was going off uh, right, So, so for game. those of you that, that don't uh, understand why this game was so frustrating, uh, the group chat, UCF fans here, uh, UCF alum, 
And uh, Cincinnati, in order for UCF to get back to the American Athletic Conference Championship, Cincinnati needs to lose two games uh, down the stretch, and UCF needs to win out. Um, Cincinnati holds the tiebreaker. There are no other teams with just one conference loss. And thus, Cincinnati needs to lose twice. Uh, All of us were sitting and hoping, and still can, that those losses would come against Temple in the second-to-last game of the year and Memphis in the last game of the year. But all of a sudden, East Carolina, 20-point underdogs at home were winning against Cincinnati and winning by multiple scores at given points. Um, yeah, and the, the, it was like midway through the third quarter. I started to feel yeah, really good. Yeah, and Holton, well, that's what it was. They were up at halftime, and you're like, all right, Cincinnati's going to come back. And then all of a sudden, Holton Aylers, Holton Aylers is Tim Tebow in disguise, and you, you can't tell me otherwise. Um, I refuse to believe anything else. It's just Tim Tebow. He tacked on a little weight, and uh, he's having a good time. But but Holton Aylers was, was unstoppable. Um, uh, is it C.J. Johnson? Was that the kid's name? Um, yeah, yeah CJ Johnson. CJ Johnson was having the game of his life at wide receiver for East Carolina. Since he had he had twelve catches for two hundred and eighty three. It yards. was insanity. He he, and it was like you knew the ball was going to him, and it didn't matter. He was still getting open. Um, and, and, and so Cincinnati, you know, they were moving the ball themselves. But the the part that killed me, East Carolina, and and ultimately, I guess it didn't really matter. But East Carolina went up 12. I believe they went up 40 to 28, I think was the score. And I was maybe just I'm looking wrong. at it. They, yeah. The, the most they were up was 31 to 21. Okay, but did they go up? Oh, 40? they were up 40 to 28. Yeah, yeah so right. when they went up yeah. 40 to 28, what they ultimately decided to do, I think there were about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They went up 40 to 28, and they decided to go for two to make it 14. Um, they were up, yeah. They were up forty to twenty-eight with fourteen seconds left in the third quarter. Okay, so it was still the third quarter, but they were up forty to twenty-eight, and they decided to go for two, uh, and they did not get it, and it shifted the momentum a little bit. I don't blame them for going to t- for two, but it felt a little early to go for two, and the reason I say so is because what that ultimately led to was it gave, after all the scoring was said and done. It left Cincinnati with the ball in a 43-43 to game, and it was because of the fact that ECU had gone for two that Cincinnati was in the position to ultimately kick a game-winning field goal where the worst result was a tie. And so the right. pressure on the kicker was a little different than if you're down and you miss this kick, your season is essentially over. Um, and so ECU was just so close, and it was so college football for ECU, who's a 20-point underdog at home, to all of a sudden have a chance in this game. Um, you know the craziest part? Like, if uh, you were just looking at the box score of this game, mm-hmm. and, and so Cincinnati destroyed on the ground. They, they oh like, my Michael God. Warren had, like, 141 yards, and I think Desmond Ritter had, like, close to 130 himself. Desmond Ritter made they, some plays, so, man. Right, so Cincinnati had 301 yards rushing uh, to ECU only had 103. Mm-hmm. But, but, and this is the weird part, ECU had the ball for 35 minutes. Well, because they were completing eight-yard passes to C.J. Johnson all game. Yeah, and that's the thing. They were 10 of 17 on third down. It was crazy. So they crazy. kept the chains moving. Well, and the thing that was um, so frustrating uh, on, on the Holt Nailers end was he threw a pick six that ultimately gave Cincinnati the lead. And the pick six was just so predictable. And it was yeah. and and the worst part, if you're a UCF fan, 
it's the same corner that had the pick six against Dylan Gabriel that broke that yep. game open. And that kid can kick rocks <laughs> and also is supremely talented uh, because he clearly – Yeah, that kid's great. It, well, I, and I don't know the kid's name, and if you want to get it for me, that'd be great. But he was uh, – he did a great job of just understanding formations now twice – against teams and understanding exactly what it was that they were going to do and and both of them were hitch routes both of them were we're just going to have our receiver run eight yards Ahmad and settle Gardner down is the corner Ahmad Gardner Gardner yeah and tip your hat off to Ahmad Gardner because he has single-handedly uh, honestly kept Cincinnati seasons alive right those are two yeah. wins that they didn't have them they wouldn't be in the same position that they're at and those were two huge plays late in games so uh you got to give him credit and uh, Cincinnati does hang on and gets to remain a ranked team and gets to be in sort of control of their own destiny in regards to the the group of five New Year's Six Bowl bid. So that's sort of where we're at now. Uh, and last thing, um, East Carolina is going to be fun these last two years of the Holton Allers like experience. It's he's only a true sophomore. Will. Yeah, it's, he's so, a he's a big man. He, yeah, he's huge. All right, uh, let's move on. We can kind of breeze through this one. Virginia yeah. 38, UNC 31. I put it on here just because, like, the Coastal continues to be very strange. Yes. Um, I think now, like, Virginia feels firmly in the driver's seat. What's funny uh, is that it, it feels like Virginia and Miami, which is what we all expected at the beginning, even though... Yeah, but it's just like it's taken such a loopy path. It's such path a strange roller coaster of emotions to get there, but it sort of does feel like it's going to be Virginia or Miami. Yeah, so as it sits right now, Virginia is in first place. The Pitt Panthers are in second place. Sure. Followed by North Carolina, who has the tiebreaker over Miami, I believe. Uh-huh. They do, yes, uh, head to head. Then you have, like, the suddenly, like, resurgent Virginia Tech team. Yeah. Kind of, like, making waves. And then Duke and Georgia Tech are kind of just there. Um, <laughs> I will say this. It is – it's weird to me – like, this was – Sam Howell, man. He's going to be great. Oh, he's <laughs> like, so good. He's like, so he, he, good. He only completed, like, 53% of his passes in this game, but had 353 yards passing and four touchdowns. And he's just, like – he's just going to be good. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it. There was um, a stat that was out there um, after this weekend. There are two quarterbacks in college football who have thrown for 24 – 400 yards, 25 touchdowns, and five or less. I think it's 25 touchdowns. It might be 20. So I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But I believe it's 25 touchdowns and five or less interceptions. And it's Joe Burrow and Sam Howell. That's yeah. the list. That's the list. The The Heisman frontrunner and Sam Howell. So this kid is a true freshman has been nothing short of spectacular and UNC's in and I'm talk about Holton Aylers and ECU and that's going to be fun. I mean UNC should be an a the ACC Coastal favorite, right? They're in the Coastal. No, they're not. Are they in the Coastal? Yeah, they're in the Coastal. Yeah, they should be the Coastal favorite the next couple of years in my opinion. Like this kid is is so dynamic that why would you expect anything less? So that's the step that I saw them take and for Virginia. You, you, you feel good because you are in the driver's seat. And all, all things considered, you know, you lost a – you had a huge loss, right, against Miami. But all things considered, you, you are still in the driver's seat. You control your own destiny. You can get back to an ACC championship game, which were your preseason expectations. And when you lose, 
you know, maybe you got a shot at the Orange Bowl, depending on what they decide between you and Wake Forest. So Right, and, and they they should win out the rest of the season. They, this should be a nine-win team heading into yeah. the bowl season with a chance to win ten because they have Georgia Tech, Liberty, and Virginia Tech left on the schedule. Right, so, and those rivalry games always mean something, and Virginia Tech, like you said, has been resurgent. They but, never beat Virginia Tech, so. <laughs> yeah, so if, if they can beat Virginia Tech, get to nine wins, and get to an ACC championship game, their season is very much... Uh, in position to be exactly what they hoped it would be, which all things considered, considering how strange the Coastal has been, that would be a really great uh, step for Virginia. And I hope somebody takes a chance on Bryce Perkins in the NFL. I, I, not good. to be like a starter right off the bat, kid's but like, good. just bring him into camp. Yeah, why not? Uh, he had a grown man game here. 30 of 39 passing, 378 yards and three touchdowns. And then on the ground, he was a workhorse. 24 carries, 112 yards and two touchdowns. Dude can that's, scamper. Uh, that's what you call putting the team on your back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what that was. And good for him. I mean, it, it, when they needed it, he came up with some really big plays. All right. All right. Uh, moving on to the last game. <laughs> strap in for this uh, one here. Review here. Oh, boy. Miami 27, FSU 10. Do we want to talk right, about the so game let's start, first? Let's start, start with, with you like breaking down, stuff? down the game from the Miami perspective. All right. So from the Miami perspective, um, as as much as I dread to be the man giving the Miami perspective, uh, this was a really nice win for Miami. I mean, a really, really nice win. Um, to come in and essentially dominate from, from the jump. Um, to get Jaron Williams back under center, which like what a weird scenario that's all been. But you you got to give Jaron Williams credit that when he's been on the field, he has been other than literally one start to a game in a first quarter where he threw three picks and three possessions. Jaron Williams has been damn good uh, at quarterback for Miami. He was twenty one of thirty seven, three hundred thirteen yards and two touchdowns, um, and. You know, they ran the ball well. Uh, Jeff Thomas had a pretty big game, finally. You know, Brevin Jordan was steady once again. And the defense was swarming against FSU. And so, you know, Miami still has their outside shot at an ACC Coastal Championship, which, you know, the goals the goals have shifted a lot for Miami throughout the year um, based off their own head coach, right? He came right. in and it was the new Miami and we're going to win the Coastal Championship and we want to compete for the college football playoff and all of this stuff. And I think uh, it got everybody a little too hyped for what this team was actually going to be. Um, that said, if they can get to an ACC Coastal Championship, they do have the tiebreaker over Virginia, right? So all they need is one Virginia loss and to win out themselves, which shouldn't be all that difficult. It's Louisville this weekend, um, which I think we'll get to later. Maybe we won't. Uh, it's Louisville this weekend, and it's Duke later in the year. They should win both of those games. Um, and so Miami is going to ultimately end up having possibly, you know, an 8-4 and four season here with a chance to win a bowl game, maybe go to an ACC Coastal Championship. And as much of a disaster as it's felt like throughout most of the year, ultimately... It, it, it's a pretty salvageable season, and Jaron Williams does look like the future of quarterback, which is huge if you are a Canes fan, because I don't think you've had a singular season in the past decade where you've uh, watched your Corey Harris, right? I mean, where you've watched your quarterback and gone, "Oh yeah, that should definitely be the guy next year," right? And Jaron Williams has done that. Jaron Williams now has everyone believing that. All right, at the you know at the very worst, he's the guy next year. 
and and right. that's and that's just the same type of season at you know eight and four nine and three if he takes the leap that I think some people expect him to the Canes could really be competitive next season so that that's right. the and football perspective there yeah and then on the flip side of things <laughs> yeah you have Florida State who falls to four and five on the year but more importantly has let go of Willie Taggart after a season and a half um somehow they scraped together the 20 million it was going to cost to fire him which is which insane. is shocking from an ath- like a like literally a broke athletic department like that's that's incredible it makes um, no sense but whatever i mean boosters man oh, yeah god the bo- the boosters at FSU were strange can i can i also say about about Willie Taggart that while i've he got a raw deal yeah while i've been making fun of how poorly he's coached and how the reality is that he is nothing without Quentin Flowers. I mean, legitimately, it's like, it's an unbelievably... He was good at Oregon, too. Yeah, he was fine in Oregon. But what he was with Quentin... Like, Quentin Flowers made this man so many millions of dollars, and if he doesn't get a random check, like, a, if, if basically, if Quentin Flowers doesn't get a blank check from, from uh, Willie Taggart in the mail in the next week, I think Willie Taggart's done him wrong. But... Uh, in Willie's defense, he was also a good coach at Western Kentucky. He was for he was fine, but I think ah. no, but I think I think the reality <laughs> is no, no, no. But I but that's actually the, the the point to make. At Western Kentucky, it took a few years, and then they were good. At USF, it, right. t- it took a few years, and then they were good. Uh, at Oregon, he stepped into a program that was already pretty solid and just got to coach a really good quarterback for one season, and they were fine. And now he ends up at, at, at FSU, and they give him a year and a half. Like, this guy's whole M.O. In has a program been... that had been decimated because Jimbo had basically given up his last two years. Correct. Like, he, he was just, you know, he was just not doing what you need to do to keep a – like, maintain a program in the Power Five at the level at which FSU expects their program Exactly. To exactly. And so the fact that you have, have Willie Taggart come in – and don't get me wrong. He was pretty horrific at FSU. I mean, he did oh, just sure. about nothing right. And so that, like – the ultimately would I have been surprised or would I be as mad if he got the full rest of the season and then got fired? Like still no. But when you make the comparison to some of the other coaches around the country that have gotten a chance, you know, in the last couple of years at new schools, it's not like he's been much worse. Um, You know, Scott Frost is actually the perfect example. We talk about Taggart from USF. You know, he made the jump to Oregon and then to FSU. I would argue that Frost has been more disappointing in Nebraska. Certainly in terms of the expectations of what you had going into their individual seasons. Right. I mean, and, and Frost actually, I believe, has a worse record by a game. So I'm I'm a little I guess I'm not surprised that Taggart got fired because ultimately uh, with all of the factors at play, job. he wasn't exactly doing a great job. Um, and so an excuse to get rid of him was fine. But given what the buyout was going to be um, and what it really ultimately ended up being, I mean, it was a $20 million buyout. Uh, and the fact that Taggart had been a coach that like it took him a few years to get his guys in his system and succeeding at both of the previous stops in which he had had more than a couple of years, I, I guess I'm just... I do feel like he got a raw deal, and I hope that ultimately he ends up somewhere as an offensive coordinator and gets his shot again, um, whether it be in an AAC school, you know, to to come back and start when, you know, ultimately one of these guys gets plucked for somewhere else. Like, would you be shocked if Sonny Dykes got plucked and then, you know, Taggart ended up at, at SMU? I wouldn't. 
You know, it, it's like yeah, or Memphis. Memphis right. is probably going to lose Norvell this offseason. And right. so th- then that gets into the question of if you're Florida State, and we can keep this relatively short. Yeah. Um, like who do you who do you target? Because the big name that's circulating is Bob Stoops, and I think that would just be a horrendous. Yeah, horrendous I don't hire. think it's a good hire. I don't think he really wants to do it. I don't. I, there, it doesn't actually feel like a fit to me. Um. This is this is why I wouldn't go the Bob Stoops route, and you know maybe Mac Brown and and Herm Edwards sure. are like are good examples of, of like recent versions I mean, of they, this they of, of this working. Are. Yeah. Um. But Bob Stoops, he's a, he's a like a quality a quality college football coach. I don't think there's any argument. And for that matter, seems like a quality guy. For yeah, for he's what a good it's dude. Worth. Yeah. Right, which is what but, they need. Which is what FSU but, needs. They need shaking hands and kissing babies with boosters. That's what they yeah. need. Yeah, but this is my thing. Um, look at what Oklahoma has done from the moment Bob Stoops retired. Nothing changed. If anything, they got better. They got much better. Yeah. I would argue. Yeah. Um, Bob Stoops is good to get you eight to nine wins every year. Right. Um, but he's not going to beat teams better than his team. He's just not. Mm. Uh, and I know the thought is, well, we're Florida State. We should have, we should be fielding the best team in our conference every year. But we exist in a world now where Clemson exists, right? Where Virginia, like, yeah, well, as shaky and, as they and, look, and for that North matter, Carolina exists. Well, and for them also, for that matter, USF and UCF exist that are taking some of the guys, not all of them, but taking some of the guys that. We're rounding out the bottom of their roster, and now all of a right. sudden their so you depth don't have the changes. Same depth. Right. And so that being said, I mean, I, like, just give me your top three names. Like, if you were, if you like, were Florida if State, I'm Florida State, my number one, yeah. my number one name is Mike Leach. That's the Mike Leach. Mike okay. Leach is the first guy I'm going after. Um, okay. I, to be honest, I I think he would be a a superb fit uh, because even if he doesn't recruit at the level in which they need to recruit. Uh, again, the scraps in Florida is better than what he's getting at Washington State. Like in terms of just recruiting, right? Like he could not I don't disagree. I'm just yeah, it, yeah. So Mike Leach is is one. Um, I think Mike Norvell is a solid, really solid coach. He he's continued. You know, when Justin Fuente left, I think a lot of people thought Memphis was going to dip off. And if anything, it, it's actually They're similar. Better also, they're yeah. better, right? It's similar to what you just said with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Um, they've only gotten better, um, and he's he's a damn good recruiter. I mean, there's there's some studs on that Memphis team on both sides of the ball. Um, and then <laughs> I'll just say because I have to. What, what about Graham Harrell? Huh? What about Graham Harrell? Why not pluck the That's offensive not, coordinator yeah. at USC? Bring him down. Make him your head coach at FSU. He's young. He's he's uh, he's an innovative offensive mind, um, but it's not too complicated. He comes from that Mike Leach tree where. If you just get a few athletes in the system, they can thrive. He's he's helped a bunch of different quarterbacks win you know win football games at USC right now, and it would be an outside the box hire, um, which I think sometimes can be necessary. Like when you fire a coach that you thought was, you know, it it was such it like made sense, right? Willie Taggart, FSU, he'd done well at USF. You know, you pluck him from Oregon. He's from Tallahassee. It all made sense. Sometimes when that happens and that then doesn't work out, you need to make a creative outside-the-box hire, and I think Graham Harrell would be that. I know that there's other names out there that might make technically more sense, but I'm going to keep saying Graham Harrell's name until he's head coach. 
Like, I'm just yeah, going to put yeah. him in every discussion until he's a head coach. So you want to hear my my job for Graham Harrell? Oh, boy, what is it? If Sonny Dykes leaves, oh, he's going to SMU. God, yeah. that'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. Right. Oh, here, shit, here Meech. Three... I want that yeah, to happen. I won't. I will. I will, root, I will root yeah. for SMU more than I root for UCF. I don't even know what to do. I would freak out if that happened. All right, so here's oh, my uh, here's my top three if I'm Florida State. Uh, first, I'm calling Mike Gundy. Ooh boy, that's because I one. I think his t- I think it, for a while a now one. it seemed like he's ready for a transition that's away a from good Oklahoma one. State. The mullet would fit in. Like, oh, fit it works right in, in tally. It works great in tally. So and I mean he's just like Mike Gundy's not a top three college football coach, but he's certainly in the top ten. Sure, he's certainly in the top seven. I mean, if we're just talking about program consistency, they've been solid. Which also, they're ranked. Cool for them. Yeah, anyway, so, exactly. Yeah, not in our poll. No, in the, in the yeah, no, not um, not in the real poll, which is our poll. So I'd go Mike Gundy sure. first. If Mike Gundy turns me down, then I make a call to Wake Forest. Uh, I'm trying to get David Clawson out, out of Wake Forest. Mm. I mean. Wake Forest traditionally is just not a good football program. It's not. They're basically the Vanderbilt of the ACC. Yeah. And even the same color. They're seven and one right now. They've got two good quarterbacks, which is more than I could say for Florida State in a long time. Um, you don't. And he's like everywhere he's been, it's taken him a year or two, but then the team transforms. You don't think that there's any sort of issue or maybe even contract contractual issue with going from ACC to ACC? I'm not sure. I, I I don't know like the specifics of that, but yeah, I mean, possibly. I, I'm right? just saying. Like I just feel like oftentimes when coaches leave, and I've we've seen it before. I mean, Dan Mullen just did SEC to SEC from Mississippi State to Florida, right? I mean, it's not right. unheard of by any means. I just like God. Don't you hate to see that a guy go from you know the upstart program that's actually playing better. Right, he he's actually like, he built yeah. this thing into something that's better than what FSU is right now. But just because it's name brand, he'd go to FSU, and and you wonder what the finances are going to be too, right? Because they just paid twenty million dollars for a buyout. Can they afford to pluck somebody? Well, from you would have school? to consider like the the same thing that happened to get the money to fire Willie. Yeah, they'll they're just find the money to, find to pay it. whoever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I when I brought up Mike Leach, I, I guess that's another thought process. That's why hiring someone like Harold might be actually easier for you. Hiring a coordinator. Um, yeah, and then my last name is same as you. I would I would call Mike Norvell. Yeah. Um, I just think what he's done at Memphis is just incredible. Um, the skill talent that he's been able to develop, the way that he recruits at Memphis, like, yep. I, I just think he's a great coach. And whoever ends up with Mike Norvell is probably going to end up being pretty happy. It does feel like Norvell's headed somewhere else after this season, right? Like That, yeah, that feels sure. sort of inevitable. Mm. Yep. All right, we got to move quickly because we're already yeah, like we're moved, we're forty minutes into the show. It's ridiculous. All right, um, quick hitters. I'm just gonna go super quick. NC State ten, Wake forty four. Talk about Jamie Newman as a Heisman candidate. You do cowards. it. He's do awesome. it. Do it. Um, NC State also just looks bad. Like uh, I, we happened? knew it was gonna be a rebuilding year because of everything that they lost on offense, but my God, they just look terrible. Um, Oregon State fifty six, Arizona thirty eight. Kevin Sumlin's seat getting a little hot, I feel like. Yeah, uh, But sure. Jonathan Smith-Hive, alive and thriving <laughs> with Oregon State. I don't know what they're going to do for offense next year when Isaiah Hodgins leaves because he's been singularly incredible like their whole team. At, at Oregon State. But I do like what I'm seeing, and you know I'm a beef, uh, a beef <laughs> stand. So here we go. Uh, and okay. then finally, Oklahoma State 34, TCU 27, Chuba Hubbard. I mean, 
Good God, I, what else can man. you say about him? They lost Tylen Wallace for the year, and it's just like, all right, well, I guess we're just going to have to give the ball to Chuba I, even more. I think we and should. And he answered the bell. I, I mean this very seriously. I don't know that Chuba will be a Heisman finalist. I really hope that he is. Um, if he's not, we're going to burn down New York City. Well, rather than burn down New York City, what do you think about making a custom grown man of the year trophy and just, and just send sending it, it to, to the Oklahoma State Athletic Department? And just seeing, do you think they would give that to him, or do you think it would? Oh no, it would get just thrown inc- out. It would get incinerated, and they'd probably think it was a bomb. But I mean, we might as well try, huh? Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't I mind being on the no fly list. Um, all right, my my quick hitters. Uh, Boston College fifty eight, Syracuse twenty seven. Um, what is? Yeah, Syracuse is dead. Syracuse is horrific, and also AJ Dillon. My God. Yeah. Yeah, My yeah, yeah. God, he is so unbelievably good. And this poor sucker got stuck at Boston College for, for his career where they are just literally running him into the ground. When we talk about guys needing to capitalize off of their time in college financially, there's no greater example than Dylan because he has been abused. Like the way that everyone makes the jokes like, oh, should Ron, Ron Rivera be tried for murder of Christian McCaffrey? Like I feel right. that way about the entire university at Boston College in terms of the way that they treat A.J. Dillon on the football field. They've abused this man. And it's almost it's almost like sad to watch. It's, it's like I'm watching it. I'm like, this guy's amazing and he's going to play like three years in the NFL because he's carrying the right. ball 40 times a game. And I hate it. I hate it. He'll never get and to a second contract. he's been doing it for three straight It's insane. He's so yeah. good. All right, uh, UCF 44, Houston 29. Um, I just needed to throw it in there. Um, Nice to see uh, UCF continue to score. The space uniforms were awesome. Um, I am. Oh, the space uniforms were so dope. I am constantly frustrated by uh, the lack of stepping on an opponent's neck in the second half um, at, from Josh Heupel. But where I will give Heupel credit is they did open up the playbook a little bit more in this game. Um, they did all of this again without uh, Greg McRae. Uh, Gabe Davis. Hard- Dylan Gabriel had a rushing did anything. touchdown. Dylan Gabriel finally kept a read option and ran it for a touchdown. And it made my heart smile. Uh, and <laughs> and it was just so nice to see. And if he starts doing that, it's over for all y'all. All right. Uh, and, and the thing I was just thinking about in between, um, you know, in between these weeks is that Gabe Davis likely goes pro, which is understandable. But if he doesn't, you literally get this entire offense, which is a top five offense in the country. You get the entire thing back next year, other than Adrian Killens. Uh, with they would the, lose a couple guys up front too, right? They might. I think they lose a couple, maybe a couple of offensive linemen, but they have it. I mean, that's the one spot where Heupel has actually recruited really well. Um, I mean, think about the it. They, they lost. They lost a few year. offensive linemen last year. Um, and, and they're still a really, really solid offensive line. So the fact that you can get back nearly the entire offense next year, that's pretty unbelievable. Um, and and they should be a force to be reckoned with once again next year. This was just another example. Uh, and then Purdue 31, Nebraska 27. What an utter disaster Nebraska is. Yeah, because it, what makes this worse is that Purdue is basically just like Purdue's walk on playing at this point. Right, Purdue. Everyone in Purdue, every good player for Purdue is hurt. Yeah, every single one. And of them. and Nebraska lost to them. They lost to Indiana last week. I mean, they yeah, are Indiana's ranked in our preferred walk ons no, poll, sir. All right, under I get it. I get it. Nebraska should not be losing that game. Like no, they Nebraska. 
is horrible. And Scott Frost looks worse and worse and worse every week. And and people have been pointing out on Twitter, go back to the polo, man. Go back to the polo. You're wearing a hoodie. And you don't get to show off the guns. And I think that's 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 ruining the confidence of it's what affecting Scott, him subconsciously. It's, he yeah. doesn't realize what he's doing to himself, but it's, he's putting a stranglehold on his own abilities. Uh, and I mean, this team is not good. And and no, I suck. guess the thing that I want to keep saying about that. And so now that I've done those two things, week by week by week by week, it feels more and more likely that Mackenzie Milton grad transfer to Nebraska just feels right. Right. I mean, Adrian Martinez is. If sort Frost of proven doesn't he's get fired. Right, but if Frost is still around next year, Adrian Martinez has sort of shown like it's it's worth it's taking serious. in Mackenzie Milton, right? Like it's it, he's yeah. not that good. And at UCF, Dylan Gabriel continues to improve every single day um and is turning himself into one of the probably 10 or 15 best quarterbacks in the country. And how do you have a true sophomore? Like it just it all is stirring up to be perfect there. Um, one other spot I just want to throw out there. How about Georgia for a grad transfer for Mackenzie Milton if Jake Fromm leaves? Um, oh, just spicy. just a spot. All right, but we can move on. Uh, we can move on to our poll. Uh, All right, yeah, let's let's breeze through these. Uh, so we're gonna go through our poll first uh, in blocks of five, like we did last week, and then we're gonna just talk really quickly about the uh, about the college football playoff ranking. All right, sound good? Yeah, let's do this. All right, so our top twenty-five from twenty-five to twenty-one: Iowa twenty-five. San Diego State making their debut on our rankings at 24, Navy at 23, Boise State at 22, and Indiana at 21. Anything stick out to you there? Um, Not particularly, to be honest with you. Um, Indiana making it into our poll is is nice, and I feel like a nice nod to the season that they've had. Tom Allen's doing a great job. we got to give him credit. Right, that's the thing. They've had a really, really, really good season. They've overachieved, and I think for that – it's better than keeping some of the default teams that ultimately fall into the AP poll or the or the college football playoff poll that just are there by name brand alone. I'm just going to say this now. Notre Dame is not in our top 25. Notre, I did that on purpose. Yeah, that's because uh, Notre but Dame. But they are 15th in both the AP and college football It's because rankings. Notre Dame is not good that they are not No, in our top they should 25. not be ranked. They are not a top 25 team. what it boils down to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What it simply boils down to, sir, is that they is should that they not be a ranked team. <laughs> they, are, yeah. they are not great. Next five, uh, Wisconsin 20, SMU 19, Kansas State 18, Michigan 17, and the People's Champ Wake Forest at 16. Um, SMU sticking around at 19 even after their loss. It was a six-point loss to what we consider to be the 13th best team in the country. Um, They deserve to be there. Um, I hate that we just have to keep saying Michigan and Wisconsin, but being at 17 and 20 feels about right. I mean, it, it just Yeah, uh, at least we don't have them at 13 and 14 like the uh, college football playoff. Correct. Uh, <laughs> wow, I didn't even realize that until right now. Wisconsin's yeah, no. 13? Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? What? Yeah. yeah, it's not good, dude. The, the college football It didn't even process is... for me yet. Why the... Oh my god. What All kind right, of we'll... sham... All we'll, right. get to, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Wake Forest, they're going to keep shooting up the rankings, folks. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> it's a damn <laughs> good right. football team. Next block of teams, we got 15, Cincinnati, 14, Auburn, 13, Memphis, 12, Florida, 11, Minnesota. Probably my favorite block of the entire top 25. Like, just in terms yeah, of, Yeah, it's like, interesting, right? It's just a fun block, right? It's a fun group of teams. Cincinnati and Memphis are damn good. I can't wait for their game at the end of the year. Uh, being sandwiched by Florida and Auburn is, is perfect. And the Minnesota sitting there at 11, they deserve to be 
right there, right around the top 10. Is there an undefeated team? Period. Right. Uh, meanwhile, if you look at the other uh, other polls, they yep. are 13th and 17th, 17th in the college football 17th playoff 17th in the college football That's playoff That's asinine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was really close to putting Memphis over Florida, but I, I decided against it. Had a little restraint. Yeah, I, it was close. It was really close. And I, that would be a fun matchup, I think, actually. Those two teams actually would be great against each other. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're in the top ten now. All right. uh, so top, well, Strap I'm going go to go to five here. I'm going to go all the way to five, okay. and then we'll just do our top four. Okay. Uh, so Utah, ten. Uh-huh. Oklahoma, nine. Baylor, eight. Shout out Baylor Bears. Uh, yeah, they're way higher in our rankings than they are in either of the other yep. ones. Georgia seven, Oregon six, Penn State five. Yeah, so this we're right. Like I, I've 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 not been more sure of much, but I I feel really confident about our top ten. Um, while I understand that we have sort of overranked Baylor a little bit in terms of how good they might actually be. Um, Baylor also has an op- don't don't be disrespectful. No, no, no. But the reality is Baylor has the best defense in their conference and their offense has been really 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 efficient and they have not lost football games so what else are you supposed to say besides the fact that they should be right there in the top 10 um i i don't understand how they can't be a top 10 team um or wouldn't be a top 10 team rather and they're not in either of the other polls um and i think that that penn state at five still feels right for us and we can sort of get into that i also Oregon's better than Georgia. Um, we've been saying yeah, that. Yeah, they are. 100% we've been saying that for most of the year. Um, and again, Georgia yeah. Georgia has an opportunity to, again, control its own destiny. They have tough games, and they have an SEC championship. Um, on a neutral site. On a neutral site. I'm taking like if Oregon. It was just, if they were playing in like the Jerry Dome. I'm taking Oregon. In Arlington, Texas, I would take Oregon. It's yeah. Oregon. And it's crazy to me that it'd be considered otherwise. Um at least at the moment, in this particular given in time. Well, Georgia's got to play time. Auburn, uh, right. I think, next week. And so, look, so. look, if Georgia beats Auburn and then goes ahead and wins an SEC championship, obviously we'll be having a different conversation. But I just highly, highly doubt that both of those are going to happen, let alone even maybe one of them. Um, right. So, you know, we'll see as it goes along. Um, and so our top four, uh, as we have, yeah. if you want to read it off, yeah, so the playoff, if it were today, and they were using our poll for whatever reason, <laughs> it would be uh, Ohio State versus Clemson, yep. uh, one versus four there, and then uh, two versus three would be LSU-Alabama, which is coincidentally a game we will see this weekend. So how about us, huh? How about us with our trend-setting yeah. Ohio State at number one, what, four yeah, weeks so ago? Yeah, so let's talk about let's it. Talk let's, about let's, it. Dive into the, let's dive into the college football playoff. Yeah, let's talk about it, folks. Let's talk about it. Who had Ohio State let's won? Let's start— Let's start with Ohio State being ranked number one. I would like to I would like to welcome the college football committee. Yep. Uh, congratulations, you are right. Ohio State is the best team in the country. We've only been saying it for what five weeks now. Yeah, I believe this now? is this is our fifth week of having Ohio so, State at number one in the country. Yes, congratulations. Uh, meanwhile, the AP still has them third, but I think no that's sense. a television thing. Yeah, gotta that's be. a television thing for sure. Uh, so they can tout. Ohio State, I mean, LSU, Alabama as a one versus two matchup on CBS. Right. I mean, but, that's how they're going to do it. But right. if it was on ESPN, it'd be two versus three, which is hilarious. Like, it's going to be listed as one versus two when it's really two versus three. It, it, the AP poll is totally irrelevant, but whatever. Yeah. Um. Okay. 
let's talk about Penn State for Clemson five okay. in the college football playoff rankings. I just want to say this to all the Clemson fans in the world. Just chill the fuck out. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Because it's all going to work itself out. It's all going to work itself out. It's going to work. Penn State has to play Minnesota and Ohio State still. Right, right. One of those, one of the teams, I mean, literally all four of the teams in front of you play each other. Right. Like, they are all, they're one of, it's two gonna of those be teams fine. have to lose. Right. As long as you keep winning games, you are fine. You're in. And you can keep winning games horribly like you have all year. Yep. And you will be fine. I think it was. But I, the idea, the idea that Clemson should get some sort of boost. Just because, because they won it last what year. what we saw last right. year. And the fact that they're the defending champions. It's it's insane. It's insanity. I totally because, agree. Because, I mean, it's not like we're disrespecting them. We still have them fourth in our poll. I right. still think they're a playoff team this year. But I can see the argument for having Penn State above them. And I can see the argument for saying, Clemson, just win your fucking game. Right. And it'll all be okay. Right. So I mean, that's all. I, I mean, that's really all you can well, so say. Well, so let me say it to that. What Clemson doesn't have a good win. Right, not 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 a single not one. a single good not win. A single it, one. Texas A and M is not a good win. It's a fine. They win. haven't played a good team since week one. Right, and, and it's it's arguable if if that's a good team right. And, at this point. And so, what I can make the argument, and and I don't think that a win over Michigan is all that impressive, or a win over Iowa is all that impressive, but in the college football playoff, Michigan and Iowa are fourteen and eighteen. Penn State has wins over both. Um, that would be the college football playoffs argument is that they have more impressive wins to this point. That said, like you just mentioned, it's going to play itself out. Like at the end of the day, if Clemson wins all of their games, they're going to the college football playoff. It's just strictly based off of what we're seeing right here. Ohio State and Penn State play each other. LSU and Alabama play each other. So even if Penn State gets the win over Minnesota, the one of those teams is going to knock the other out in regards to Clemson. Now, not necessarily after the, out of the college football playoff completely. There's, there's still weird outside shots here for some of those teams if they lose. But Clemson is going to get in if they go undefeated. I feel like this fifth ranking for them... And I think it was Kirk Herbstreit that pointed it out yesterday. It sort of just feels like a little bit of a warning. Like, hey, if you lose, right. you're done. Right? Yeah. Like, we don't As we don't value be. your schedule. Nor nor should it be valued because the ACC is not good this year. It hasn't been for a number of years, but it's particularly not good this good year. Teams. It's particularly two not good. good. Right. You could argue that Virginia might be a third good team. Maybe. Yeah. Um, And so... When you really look at it and you're looking at Clemson, you're saying, hey, just so you're aware, guys, we are not impressed by anything that you've done. But you're a Power 5 team, and if you go undefeated, you're going to get it. And that's pretty much what Clemson deserves at the moment. Clemson has not been unbelievably impressive. They've been good. They've they've blown out some opponents. But compared to what the expectations were before the season and what you anticipated Clemson was going to be, you guys are going strictly... If you're mad that Clemson is five, it's strictly because they're the defending champs and you think that they just deserve to be sitting in the playoff no matter what the situation is. And if that's going to be the case... If it's, hey, they won a championship and they're still undefeated, then in that world, you shouldn't be mad that they're five. You should be mad that they're not one. Like, it doesn't, if you're going to go based off of that reasoning, right, they're the champs and they're still undefeated, then they should be the number one team in the country, not like, oh, we wish we were four. So, yeah, but uh, if you're going based thing, though, is... off of this season, five makes sense. It's fine. I We have them at four because we think they're better than Penn State. They probably are better than Penn State. But having them at five right now, I'm not like, that's not something, of all of the things that are going on in those college football playoff rankings, that's not the thing that I'm mad about by any means. Right. 
this is what I'm most mad about. Uh, and we can talk about this and then move on. Yeah. Um, the disrespect for the American Athletic Conference by the College Football Playoff Committee continues to – and I hate being that fan. Yeah. But when you have Cincinnati as the highest-ranked co- uh, college football playoff team in your rankings and they're 20th, yeah. I, I, I honestly have to question what the fuck they're watching. <laughs> well, all right, so first of all, Let's just let's just get this straight. Memphis is better than Cincinnati, so it's funny. By far, it's funny. No, but not by far. No, but they're better but they're than, better. Yeah. And so it's funny that Cincinnati is ranked ahead of Memphis. First of all, like that sort of in its own, I think shows that they're not really paying attention to the group of five. Um, where where you let look at this as a semblance of disrespect because they've essentially gone at yeah, you know what, group of five teams will stack. All five of you in the we'll in the bottom six. We'll literally group of five. Yeah, we'll yeah. literally group of five. You put the five of yeah, you. Yeah, literally the group of yeah, five. Yeah, uh, we'll put all of you at the end. We'll throw Oklahoma State in there because why the fuck not? Um, but but uh, what I will say on the other hand, and and I just I'm going to be the positive person here for just a moment. Um, and that's rare when it comes how to and it, it's rare when it comes to how I feel about the college football playoff in the American Athletic Conference. But, um. Where I will give them the credit is that in years past, these teams have not been ranked. They should be. And so what I'm not, I'm not going to. So are we giving them a cookie for finally opening their eyes? Right. So what I don't want to do is give them too much credit for simply ranking teams that should be ranked, right? And should be ranked higher than they're ranked. But at least it, it does feel a little like UCF walked so the AAC could run. In 2017... UCF was undefeated, beating teams by 25-plus points per game. They were undefeated in the first college football playoff ranking. They were ranked 18th. Um, and that was a dominant, dominant, dominant football team that had no slip-ups. Uh, Cincinnati has a loss, 42 to nothing loss. Now it's to the number one team in the country. But normally, the college football playoff will use any sort of loss to a Power 5 team as an excuse to say, see, clearly you don't belong. was a 42 to nothing home loss as well? Yes, it was. It was 42 to nothing at home uh, to Ohio State. But Ohio State's the best team in the country. We've been talking about how it, it's tough to judge Cincinnati. No, I know. I, I just wanted to throw that right. out there. But yeah. even Memphis. Memphis has a loss to Temple. Now, it was close. But ordinarily, when, when these teams have a singular slip-up, um, they have not been ranked. And so the fact that you have four teams from the American Athletic Conference. I mean, the AAC has the third most ranked teams in the country by conference. They're getting at least a little bit of the respect that they deserve. Do we agree and know that those teams are I mean, better than the, 20 like, through 25? Uh, yes. We know that they're better on. than that. Look, look at these teams in front of Memphis, wait, and you, wait, tell me, wh- you tell me which team you, you think might beat Memphis. Not not they could they they wouldn't beat Memphis. Like they they in your mind they could maybe beat Memphis. All right? I don't think that Wisconsin, Michigan or Iowa Notre Dame. Memphis. I don't think any of the I don't think any of those teams beat Memphis. Iowa couldn't beat Memphis. Minnesota might be able to beat Memphis. Maybe. Kansas State might be able to beat Memphis. Notre Dame could not beat Memphis. Nope. Michigan could not beat nope. Memphis. Wisconsin could not beat Memphis. I agree with you. I agree. And so I, right. that part of it is unbelievably frustrating. That 13 through 15 of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Notre Dame makes me want to gouge my eyes out. Uh, but, but overall, I do feel good for and, – and, and what this also sets up for when you do look at Cincinnati and Memphis there at 20 and 21 – 
the American Athletic Conference Championship game is going to be very interesting because as you go into the last week of the year, and this is already setting up, as you go into the last week of the year, there's a chance that Memphis and Cincinnati could play each other and then play each other again in in the conference championship. And if you're the American Athletic Conference, you want whoever wins the first game to win the championship. Right. Because if they beat each other, that's backdoor Boise State into the New Year's Six. And you don't want that if you're the AAC. Because Which you're is clearly the better you conference. just lost this weekend. Yeah, it does It does stink for App State, but it, they can't yeah, lose a lose. game. I mean, just don't lose yeah. a game and you're fine. Um, all, right. all right, let's get into our Saturday six-pack. Yeah, let's do this. Um, all right, so you're going to have to help oh, me here because frozen. I couldn't do the math because nope, I didn't know. Mind. Sorry. I'm going to keep no, that in good. the podcast because why not? All right, you're going to have to help me here because I'm not sure. Uh, did, who picked Miami over FSU, or did neither of us pick that? I'm pretty sure I picked Miami. Okay, so you got – I don't I think, think I picked – I don't think I picked Miami. I think I picked Florida State. I think I picked Miami. All right, so on the – okay, so last week, recap. Neither of us picked Georgia over Florida, so we both got that one wrong. Right. I got Memphis over SMU. You did. I also got Utah over Washington. Yeah, you did. Uh, you got Miami over FSU. I did. And I got – we Ooh. both got Kansas State over Kansas, and yeah. I got Oregon over USC. So you're trying to do the math from what we have there right now? Yeah, so one, that's two, one, three, two, four. So three, I'll make you 37. Wins. And you have – 17. Two losses. Right? You, yeah, 17. So, so that becomes 17? Yeah, because it was 15. Yeah. It was 15? Okay. And then I got one, two wins, so I'm at 31. And then – one, two, four three, losses. four. So now we're at twenty-three. 23. All right. So does it, that math add up? Does thirty-seven plus and seventeen? Yeah, add up six to and six. And yes. 23? Yes. So okay. each on the year and picking these games that we have in the Saturday six pack, we pick outright. Uh, Meech is thirty-seven and seventeen. I am thirty-one and twenty-three. Um, so I'm going to need a little run here in the last few weeks to be able to sort of uh, pluck off a few wins here. Um, All right, and so, we can make some of these games quick. Too. Yeah, so, so let's do Wake let's and Virginia Tech. Let's start with Wake right Forest, Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, I think Wake wins this game. Okay. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it would only make sense that Wake wins this game. Yeah, Wake. Wake's averaging 512 yards per game on offense. Good God. Uh, and, I mean, they're giving up 400 yards of offense uh, uh, on defense. But... Virginia Tech's defense doesn't seem like one that can slow down Wake. Uh, and, you know, like I said before, put Jamie Newman in your Heisman in your Heisman talk. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is how does Newman continue to produce for them? Um, and, you know, obviously a pretty big game here. Um, and This could end up being sneaky close well, because Virginia Tech, while they did start off very slowly— they have kind of bounced back and looked like a competent they football team the last couple weeks. They have played much, 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 much better football the last couple of weeks. You do have to travel to Virginia Tech. And with next week being the big matchup with Clemson, it's a tra- Maybe it's, a it's like it's tra- Yeah, it's yeah. trap game written all over it. Um, I, well, I have a hard time here. I mean, I really do. I am of the belief that Virginia Tech is, is fine. Um you know, when you really do look at it, they had three wins in a row. It was a touchdown win over Miami in a crazy weird back and forth game. Then they beat Rhode Island. Then they beat Carolina by two. And then they lost to Notre Dame last week. 
Um, yeah, and they and so this this will be interesting too is the health of uh, Ryan Willis because right. he was not playing at the end of that Notre Dame game. Right. Um, and I've not seen any updates on his health. Uh, yeah, but if he doesn't play, their their offense just is very one dimensional. Well, and I think their offense sort of feels one dimensional either way, which is why I lean Wake Forest. Wake Forest is just going to score too many points uh, to lose this game, even though it might be closer than I think some people would would think purely based off the rankings in the in the schedule thus far. Um, I think that that Wake Forest is going to have enough firepower on offense behind Newman to be able to win this one. Right. All right. So we both got Wake Forest. Let's move on to the next game here. This one. Uh, I actually want to skip. Super no, fun. I actually want to skip up to Iowa, Washington. Okay. Uh, Wisconsin. N- never mind. It's the opposite of super that, fun. <laughs> yeah, this one we don't have to t- spend much time on. Uh, Wisconsin at, is at home. Uh, Iowa is okay on offense, but I think the Wisconsin defense is going to do enough to shut them down. And, you know, Wisconsin's still a tough place to play. I, I think Wisconsin runs away with this one. I think it's a final of, like, 19-9. to 9. Like, just the worst. The over-under is 39 points. It's the it's under. Ugh. Yeah. I hate everything about Wisconsin and Iowa playing each other. I just, I, I'd rather watch literally anything else. I mean, Wisconsin needs a big bounce-back game here, so I think that's kind of why. They're going to win. I mean, losing... Yeah, losing back-to-back games to Illinois and Ohio State, like they they need to bounce back. There's just about a in my mind there's a 0% chance that Iowa wins this game. It it has all a right. Wisconsin win written all over it at home in a game that they need in order to salvage their season. Um I'm not sure I would go 0% Iowa win, but I I will agree that I think Wisconsin does win. It, it, yeah, it just doesn't feel like a game that Iowa can win. Um all right, uh, which of these two Big 12 games would you care to talk about first? Let's do Kansas State versus Texas. Okay. Um, so Kansas State on the road playing Texas here. What a um, strange game this is, huh? Based off of everything that has happened this year for these two teams. Right. It feels like – it feels almost like Kansas State is where you think in your mind Texas should exactly. be. Exactly. Exactly. And Kansas State's had a really, really, really good season. Um, yeah, like they've body swapped. Well, and almost. think about what their losses are. Kansas State is 6-2 and two this season. They've lost two games. Right. They lost to Oklahoma State, who's ranked 23rd in the college football playoff poll. They lost to Baylor, who's a top 10 team in our minds, and they're ranked, I think, 12th to 13th in the college football playoff poll. And they beat Oklahoma. And they beat Oklahoma. I mean, Kansas State is right. a damn good football team. But they have yeah, to go really on the road to Texas. Um whose season is kind of feeling like it's falling apart at the seams, unfortunately, even though they're they're five and three. With that loss to TCU, you're not feeling great. Um and they've lost two out of three now to Oklahoma and TCU. They barely beat Kansas. I, I just don't know what's happening with, with Texas at this point. They're very unpredictable as a team. Right. And so th- that's why it's weird to me that if you look at according to F uh, uh, ESPN's FPI Texas is a 67% chance of winning this game. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it makes sense. They're at home, and they're they're a pretty good football team. But Kansas but State this has is where played it's, so well. They're also favored by seven. That's um, a huge spread. That's a, that, see, yeah, that's crazy I, to me. And I, I'm honestly, I think I would take, I, I think I'm taking Kansas State outright in this game, honestly. All right, I'm going to take. Because t- I think you could see, I think you could see a similar playbook to how they beat Oklahoma. Correct. 
where they control the clock. Texas's defense is worse than Oklahoma's. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think without question, they're giving almost a, like Texas. Like Sam Ellinger is doing his damnedest. Yes. Like he's trying his hardest. Like bless his heart. But the defense is giving up almost as many yards as Sam Ellinger is getting for right. them. And I just think, like, as weird as it is to say, like, I think Kansas State is the better coach team. They're the better football team at the moment. Um, I do think Texas playing at home matters. Um, I think that Sam Ellinger can make enough plays. And strictly just to pick against you so that I can try to make up some ground here, because this does feel like a little bit of a coin flip, I'm going to go ahead and take Texas, which I've done all year long. Uh, every time we've had Texas on here, I think I've taken them. I feel like you've split that too. So that's, you know, doesn't say one way or the other. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and take Texas over Kansas State, even though that that should be a really fun, like, to me, that actually might be the third, third best game of this week. I know we're about to get to the other one that we probably think is the third, but that that's a fun game if you guys are looking for uh, uh Another I mean, the game Big to 12 watch. has two of the best games of the week. Right. right? Well, and it, so let's let's get into the second one. Right. Uh, Iowa State on the road in Norman to face the Sooners and Oklahoma. Uh, FPI has Oklahoma 82% chance of winning this game. Yeah. Uh, and the spread in Vegas is 14 and a half. Ooh. Ah. Yeah, that feels, uh, that feels heavy. It feels like a lot for a team that has... Uh, but, I mean... It's it's so hard because Iowa State's so unpredictable. Um, right, they're just so wild. Like you never know what you're gonna get, right? And like it does feel like this is one of those games where they should sort of come out here and score a crap ton of points against Oklahoma. Um, They've had like a good run recently of playing in Oklahoma too. Like, yeah, yeah, no, they have. Um, I just don't, I don't know that I trust them to overcome Oklahoma's firepower at home. Uh, you know, I just think that Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts is not the type of guy that's going to lose multiple games in a season. Uh, right, and I'm <laughs> I'm actually right there with you. Yeah, bless you. No, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go Oklahoma here as well. Yeah, there's not really much else to say, right? I mean, it's just sort of. I feel like Oklahoma's just gonna outscore Iowa State, and so while Iowa State it, might play a really good game and. I think a lot of people anticipate that this could be a blowout is what it is. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, um, but I just don't see a way in which Oklahoma doesn't sort of pull away in the end. I'll say this. If Brock Purdy has one or like one or fewer turnovers, they got a real Iowa shot. State wins this game. Yeah. Iowa State wins this game if Brock Purdy turns the ball over once or less. All right. I'll, um, I'll mark that down. Purdy Hive, alive and thriving. <laughs> Always. Uh, okay, do you want to do Penn State-Minnesota first yeah. or LSU-Alabama Let's first? do Penn State-Minnesota. All right, so Penn State on the road to take on Minnesota. Correct. Uh, in the preferred walk-ons poll, that would be number five against number 11. In the college football playoff poll, that's number four versus number 17. Correct. So, Correct. Um. Penn State, to me, is the more talented team without question. Yeah, absolutely. But this Minnesota team is starting to feel like a team of destiny, oh, destiny Jeremy Tashley. Meech, I was about to say the same damn thing. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I want to pick Minnesota. Uh-huh. 
So I'm gonna do it. I, I, I'm taking. Damn Minnesota it, me! Damn it! I was I'm hoping that it. you wouldn't, so that I could take them. I well, no, here, I'm doing here's it. what I, here's what I'll say. I mean, say. but like, so this is the this is the problem, is, and this is why I don't feel great about it. Okay. We talked about Minnesota at the beginning of the year. Uh, they played three very good, like three of the top tier non Power Five teams that you could schedule. Sure. They played San Diego, uh, South Dakota State. They played Fresno, and they played Georgia Southern. All three of those teams played them close. Yep. Um, but but they they won the game, and and in the long run, what's football about is about winning games. Yes, it is. And then and and this is where I start to get a little uncomfortable. Their last five games uh, here, which have gotten them to eight and zero, their last five games have all been against Big Ten opponents. Uh, bad, but ones. they've played probably the five worst teams in the Big Ten. It's at Purdue versus Illinois versus Nebraska at Rutgers versus Maryland. Not great. right, and so, but this is the promising thing when when you look at common opponents. Penn yeah. State beat Maryland fifty nine to zero. Minnesota beat Maryland. 52 to 10. Yeah, no, it's not granted not different. Granted, Penn State played Maryland on the road on a Friday night, whereas Minnesota got them at home. Uh at Purdue, they only won by 7. Uh at home against Purdue, Penn State won by 28. <sighs> you know what? I talked myself out of it. I'm picking Penn State. All right, good. So now I can pick Minnesota. Team of Destiny. Uh, here's the reality with Minnesota. I talked myself out of it. I was trying to talk myself into it. I talked myself completely out. Yeah, no, I get it, and I get why you would. Uh, Penn State's a better football team. Um, Penn State uh, has actually beaten good opponents. Minnesota's 8-0, but they haven't beaten anyone. I mean, literally anyone. Uh, But uh, the thing that I will say, they've they've been absolutely manhandling opponents since week four. So while they only beat Purdue at Purdue by a touchdown— it's then forty to seventeen against Illinois, thirty-four to seven against Nebraska, forty-two to seven against Rutgers, fifty-two to ten against Maryland. Those teams are all not very good. But uh, when you can go in there and you are blowing out the teams that aren't as good as you, yeah, that that's shows the thing that you want to see, though, team, right? right? And so yeah. the way that they're going to play defense, uh, the way that I do trust that uh, they're not going to turn the ball over much, and I like that P.J. Fleck just got a new crazy long extension right before this game. Showing yeah, some you faith say, in your you head know, coach. You, you, There's some you're weird... talking about somebody who should send Willie Taggart a check. Oh, my God. <laughs> P.J. Fleck should send it. Because then all he's got to do is, oh, that FSU job looks pretty yeah. nice. No, 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 no. No, please here, stay. Here, here. Here's a million dollars. But I, I will say, I, I like it. It feels like a team of destiny, and I'm happy to pick Minnesota, even if they ultimately end up losing this game. Fair enough. Um, I will say this. Tanner Morgan has been super efficient at quarterback for Minnesota. Yes. They run the ball very well with Rodney Smith. If they control the ball um, at home, they're going to win the game. Yeah. Uh, this is where it gets scary. <laughs> Did you know that Penn State is only giving up 9.6 points? It's insane. Their defense is very good. Yeah. And their defense is good, and their running game is starting to come alive a little bit. It is. Bit, so. It is. Just some stuff to look out uh, look out for. All right, and then let's get into the big daddy uh, here, Jeremy. Let's do it. The big daddy of them all. Um, Alabama at home against LSU. Uh, CBS is going to bill it as number one versus number two. Yes, they are. Uh, um, Alabama's favorite. Have you opened this game, game thing yet? I, I actually just opened it, and I am shocked by it. Yeah, so 
Alabama, according to FPI, is favored to win uh, 72%. That's crazy. That feels like way too much. feels very wrong. Um, I'm trying (sighs) to see. Is there any update on Tua's health? I mean, from everything that I've heard, he's probably going to play. But I also am not in the know, and I'm just watching television. So uh, I haven't seen anything. We should probably do this based off of Tua playing, even if he's not at 100%. Right. Um, so this game's at 3.30. Yeah. I Look. Mac Jones isn't a ba- Mac Jones is not a bad backup quarterback, for what it's worth. No, but I mean, come um, on, it's not Tua. Uh, here's the reality, man. Mac jo- Did I ever tell you the story about Mac Jones? No, let's hear it. So when I played peewee football at um, Mandarin Athletic Association in Jacksonville— okay. He was actually the starting quarterback on the junior Pee Wee. Hey, team. hey. So, wow. <laughs> pretty crazy, right? Small I practiced world. on the same field as that kid. Wild stuff. Now he might uh, play against the, LSU. The thing is he grew to be he grew to be six three, like two twenty five, and you know, I stayed the same height and gained like forty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um All right, so if Tua plays Let's let's do this as if Tua's playing. Because I I feel like Tua's. I play. I mean he I don't see a way where he doesn't play. Right? Correct. I here's here's the reality. Okay. The over under sixty five in this game. It's crazy that that could be the over. An LSU Alabama game has an over under of sixty five. Didn't they play a cha- didn't they play basketball. didn't they play a championship that was like like nine to six? Am I remembering that? No, that was the regular season game. Oh, that game. was, was the regular season game. You're right. And then they played in the national championship, and and Bama won like 27 You're to right. Three. You're right. I guess yeah. by my thought process here is that Alabama at home is the only reason that I think that Alabama can win. I think if Alabama had to go to LSU, I, I wouldn't feel confident whatsoever in this being a very good game. Uh, LSU has been the better football team all year. LSU has beaten better football teams throughout the year. Uh, LSU's defense has made plays when it matters throughout the year. Um, Alabama has too, but they haven't really been challenged. This is the first time that Alabama is truly going to be challenged. And I think any time that we doubt Alabama, they oftentimes come out on top. Um, How how pissed do you think... Saban has the players that LSU is ranked right. one spot above them. Right. And, and that's what scares me, right? right? <laughs> and and so if I'm and for that matter, the way that like he's probably talking to Tua, like, hey, Joe Burrow, all of a sudden everybody thinks Joe Burrow's coming for your paycheck, right? Like right. I, I mean, there's been mock drafts that have Joe Burrow ahead of Tua Tagovailoa now. Like there's there's a lot of motivating factors here for Bama that this is going to be an incredible game. I think this is going to be one of the best college football games we've seen in a decade, like in the regular season. And I sure hope so. God, I only hope it's not a blowout one way or another. But the thing that I will say is I am of the belief that LSU is the better football team. I am of the belief that Joe Burrow has been the better college quarterback this season. I am of the belief that uh, LSU's wide receivers can at least sort of hang in terms of the skill of Alabama's wide receivers. They're right. They're just right behind. They're them, just yeah. right behind them. Um, I am of the belief that LSU's defense is just as good as Alabama's. Uh, I would say they're better. Yeah. But and I know the numbers don't bear that out, but they've played better offense. Right. And so I 
should be saying to you that LSU is going to win the football game. Uh, I am rooting for LSU to win the football game. Uh, I think Alabama is going to win the football game. Good God. If you look at Bama's schedule, who's the best team they beat? Texas A&M? Right. No, they, they're they they're no better than Clemson in regards to this schedule stuff. Truly. This, this feels real. It's a real, horrific uh... schedule. Horrific. Yeah, so just – hold on. I honestly don't even know how it's possible. I knew it was I knew it was bad. I did not know it was this bad. They beat Duke, New Mexico State, South Carolina, which <laughs> Georgia Hello. can't say that. Right. Uh Southern Miss, yep. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Arkansas. They've beaten absolutely no one. Absolutely no. They've beaten three of the worst teams in the SEC right. as well. well. And, and after they play LSU, they're Mississippi State and then a, a team I don't even know what they are. What is it? I think that is, is that Western Carolina. Good God. And then the Catamounts. Right. Bro, if you go to this game page between Alabama and Western Carolina, it doesn't even have stats for Western Carolina's like players. Yeah, so I, they're, they're playing a cakewalk Holy of a schedule shit. other than LSU and, and Auburn. But, but you're taking them. I am taking them. Yep. I am. And, and maybe... Well, then I'm going to align myself with the forces of good. Uh, I'm going to align myself with Coach O. As you should. Uh, As you should. I'm not and, happy to know, take them. I'm just taking them because I knew you were going to take LSU, and, and and there's a shot here. Uh, and so this is my thing. I want to be loved and accepted when I eventually do go to New Orleans to see Tulane. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. So you got to keep picking <laughs> LSU. <laughs> I'm picking LSU. I do think uh, LSU's defense has given up more yards this year than Bama's, but they've played a lot better comp- competition. And I think that they're rounding into form, and I'm really interested to see the matchup of their secondary against Alabama's receivers, especially if two is hobbled in any sense. Right. Um, because I think that Christian Fulton, Grant Delpit, uh, Stingley Jr., and the other safety that they have so back there. Good. I think that's one of the best safety, so like good. one of the best secondary. I hate in the taking Alabama here. I want to change my mind, but I'm not going to. But I want all of you to know that as we're doing this, I am only taking Bama because I have to, not because I, I think that they're necessarily going to win or that I want to. I just need to make up no some ground. No one's got a gun to your head, Jeremy Tash. No, no, I do. I, I care so much about winning that I need to pick the opposite of you just to try to make up the ground here. And with this and with the Kansas State game, it's like I'm picking where I don't really want to pick these teams, but Texas and Bama feel both have a shot. And so it's like since they actually have a legitimate shot and you're picking the other way, I got to make up for it. So I'm picking right. Bama. I'm not happy about it. All right. So let's review our picks uh, and then we can move on. Yep. Uh, you, we both picked Wake. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, I'm just going to fill this in so next Smart. week when I try and do the standings, I'll remember. Yeah, we both picked Wake. Uh, we both picked, we both picked Wisconsin. Oh, no, sorry. We both picked Wisconsin. Correct. This is... uh, we we were split on Kansas State, Texas. Right. I, I took Kansas State. I took Texas. Correct. Then it was Iowa State and Oklahoma, of which I believe we both picked Oklahoma. Yes, we both picked Oklahoma. Right. And then when it came to Penn State, Minnesota, you took Penn State, I took Minnesota. Right. And then... And then we were split on LSU Alabama. Right. So I'm going to make up three games this week. That's what's about to happen, is, is, is essentially right. what you're telling me. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move on to our quick segments, and then we can get out of All here. right. Let's do this real quick. Grown Man of the Week. Who is your Grown Man of the Week, Meech? 
Uh, aside from Chuba Hubbard, who we've already discussed, has this honorary honorary mention. Uh, Kylan Hill versus Arkansas, not the best team, but uh, 21 carries, 234 yards, three so touchdowns crazy. for an average of 11 yards per carry. Arkansas is dead. They should fire Chad Morris. Yeah. Um, Chad Morris, maybe he ends up back at SMU. SMU. That would be wild. Oh, God. Um, who do you got, Jeremy? Uh, so I could have put literally everyone from the SMU and Memphis game. You know how hard it was for me to not put Shane Bouchelle even in the loss. Uh, but yeah. but I watched C.J. Johnson in East Carolina just absolutely tear it up against Cincinnati. Kid had the game of his life, 12 catches, 283 yards and a touchdown. And it was like they knew the ball was, was going. Yards it was insanity, almost, right? and the ball—it was like it was so obvious the ball was going to go to him throughout the game, and it didn't matter. He was—he was, and he must. It honestly, he must have had twenty targets. Uh, so he was just out there balling all game. He deserves the grown man of the week. All right. So the most college football thing I saw—I don't have this written in, but it does stick with me. Um, Nebraska had their most like fun moment of the year this year when that big defensive lineman picked yes. off the pass. Yes. Um, that was great. What was hilarious about it, and it becomes like a microcosm of Nebraska season at this point, yeah. and I know we've done a lot of shitting on Nebraska at this nah, point. No, but it's kind of fun. Um, but he took the ball down to like the five or six yard line. Mm-hmm. They had to, they ended up getting a field goal on that drive, Jeremy Tash. Of course they did. Oh, and they lost they the game. So that's the most college football thing. Like even when Nebraska thinks they're having a good time. They're not having a good time. Yeah, so. that's fair. All right, so my my college football, my most college football thing I saw this week, uh, SMU scores uh, to make the game, I believe it was 54-46, to 46, okay? They could have kicked the extra point and kept it within a touchdown and still gone for their onside kick. Uh, instead, they elected to go for two. Um, essentially, the reality was they were going to have to score, right, twice right they were gonna have to get the onside kick right. no matter what and the odds say that they had a greater than 50 percent chance to make a two-point conversion so their thought process was we'll make the two-point conversion now and then if we do score again we will win the game if we don't make right. it because we have a greater than 50 percent chance the numbers tell us that next time we will get the two-point conversion, and thus we'll still tie the game. So the best part about all of this is while SMU is running an incredible play to get the two-point conversion, you've got Herbstreet and Fowler just talking about why they shouldn't be or should be going for two the entire time. When They're doing the math. They're doing the math in their, head, their head. They're like, well, why would they do this? And why would they do that? While all of Twitter is sitting there talking about how the numbers say this, the numbers say that, the numbers say that. And all of Twitter has already decided this is the right idea. They should be going for two before they even scored. And it's just like, this is the way college football works. And yet your two best college football analysts who really did an awesome job in that game. It's not to criticize them, but they're sitting there going, hmm, I wonder why the numbers would say this. And it's like, guys, they're not math. Guys. Right. It just, it was just so college football to have like this amazing moment of them going for two and getting it. Oh, not overshadowed, but all of the commentary was not even about the play. It was just about whether or not they should be going for it, which essentially is what all seasons are, right? Win your games, it doesn't matter. Uh, as long If you're from the wrong conference, we're going to talk about why you don't matter. If you lose a game, we talk about why it's a quality loss. None of it actually has to do with the football. It all has to do with the narrative surrounding it. Right. All right. All right. Onion hanger, Onion hanger of the upset week. picks of the week. Let's do this. All right, so I'm actually going to narrow this back down to one. I, I put two on yeah. here. Uh, I got Missouri over Georgia. Whew. And 
I actually have some reasons why. Georgia's at home, which it would be so spicy if they oh, lost that home. Oh, be so funny. But so they just lost. They just beat Florida, right? Right. They have Auburn on the schedule next week. Mm. Missouri, on the other hand, has been not great over the last two weeks. Right, and they're not bowl eligible. Right, because Kelly of- Bryant's healthy. Right, Kelly Bryant's back healthy. Uh. I think maybe this is uh, this is Missouri Super Bowl. At this it point, is right? no, it totally is because they can't play in a bowl game, and their defense isn't bad. So they, I think they can give the Georgia offense uh, oh, some fits, boy. and I think Kelly Bryant might still have a little magic. I left think in you there. you uh, convinced me that that's happening. Like that's not yeah, even so a Missouri question. Missouri over Georgia. Well, how about this? So let me let me double up on on your uh, upsets here, and just for the fun of it, just because why not create some mayhem? How about Vanderbilt over UF? So oh, now we're getting so spicy. now we're getting spicy. So Vandy sucks, right? I mean, Vandy's not a very good football team, but Derek Mason makes me want to run through a freaking brick wall, and it's a shame too because he's probably going to get fired. Yeah, which is horrible. He's a good coach. Um, Vandy yeah. does not have the the, the proper focus uh, and finance behind their football team, but um, uh, Vanderbilt, who again, you talk about playing in your Super Bowl, going into the swamp. Uh, the Gators just lost to Georgia, like you just just mentioned. That's deflating. Um, they felt like they had everything right in front of them. Um, and sometimes when that happens, you can see a compounded second loss, um, i.e. Wisconsin. Wisconsin, differently, right. went backwards order. They lost to a bad team. And then they went into Ohio State and just laid a complete edge. Right? Like, they're them. not... As much as I like to to crap on Wisconsin, they're not forty points worse than than Ohio State. So they went in and just got right. manhandled, and it was because everything that they had set out for all of a sudden became in jeopardy. And so that's my that's my pure thing here is just if if the Gators don't bounce back the right way, and Derek Mason can motivate Vanderbilt to go in and win their Super Bowl. And so what we've just essentially predicted is that both Georgia and Florida find a way to lose after Florida Georgia week and That'd be wild. and and still are in control I guess of their own destiny in the SEC East. So yeah, cuz everybody else is so far behind. Oh, just a crazy scenario. Um but all right, so those are our our upsets of the week. Uh don't take them to the bank. It's a bad idea. Although Missouri over Georgia should be fun. Um thank you guys for listening. Um, to this week's episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons. Let us know what you think about the poll. Um, Please tweet our link out to your friends. Text it to them. Face, chat, snap, book. Uh, (laughs) Whatever the damn teens are doing these days. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, continue to let us know what you think. We appreciate anyone and everyone who has listened. uh, And we really hope you enjoy the show. See you, everybody.